16, verse 1. We're going to look at the first probably around 12 verses of Romans 16. Um, now, this is a passage. Well, for, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read. And um, I always do things a little bit different second service. And just, just know, guys, it's better. Okay? It's better second service. So tell all your friends, first service friends, to come here. Um, it's, we get a rehearsal in, and it's all better. Um, I'm going to read through this and then just kind of, kind of talk through it a little bit. Um, and I'll put, it some, I'll put some slides up on the screen as well. So Romans 16, we're going to read 1 through probably verse 12. I commend you, I commend to you, um, so this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, ending his letter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplietus, my believer, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet, uh, you know, I'm going to stop right there, because the words, the names just get harder. And every service, I read them, and I just butcher them. And I've practiced. I've had the week to practice, okay? And they're still just not coming out right. But I welcome, I, I encourage you, that's going to be a game that we're going to do one Sunday morning, is I'm just going to start calling on people and be like, you read this one, and then you'll see what it feels like. Um, so um, this is a passage in Romans that we normally skip. That's my intro today, okay? There you go. This is a passage that when you get to this, as you're reading something like Romans, you start to read through, and you're like, okay, I'm, okay, okay, all right, it's fine, it's good. I'll just go on to the next thing, or maybe I'll be done reading Romans now. It ended a little bit early. Cool, we got out early, right? And we do that because we, we read this. It's Paul's, like, greeting a bunch of people. He's saying, hey, by the way, say hi to this person, say hi to this person, remember this person, this thing or this person. He seems to know a lot of people. He's like that person that you know, that friend you know, who they're like, oh, uh, do you know this person? You know this person? And you're like, nope, 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 no, 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 no. I don't know any of those people. Anyway, say hi to him for me if you see him. Okay, great, right? That's what Paul's doing. Like, what on earth would this have to say to us that would in any way really connect with where we're at right now? Or is it simply there to show us um, you know, these, these people and, and what it was that they did. Well, uh, keep in mind that Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he wrote this letter knowing that this woman, Phoebe, was going to carry it for him. Um, she lives in a place that is in between where he is in Corinth and Rome. Or, sorry, flip it the other way around. 
She's over here, he's in the middle, and then there's Rome. And he heard that she was going to be traveling to Rome, probably on business. She's a wealthy business person who might be a lawyer or someone who travels to Rome, and he knows that she's coming through, and so he writes this letter to the Roman church, and he asks her to carry it for him to the church there. Uh, he gives them a commendation for her. He's kind of telling the church, uh, listen, this lady is great, and he's doing that in part because he wants them to take care of her. She's now going to be there doing business. She might be there for a while. And he wants Phoebe to know um, all the people um, who, can, uh, who she can know that are his friends. You know, oh, let him know you're Paul's friend, and it'll, go, it'll be great. But she's also going to be delivering this letter to one of the churches in Rome. There's multiple house churches in Rome. And then most likely what's going to happen is it's going to be read there by one of the leaders of that church or by, by a group of uh, someone in that church. Um, and then it's going to be passed on church after church after church to all the house churches in Rome. And so what Paul's doing is he's letting them know how, uh, how valuable this woman Phoebe is. She's done him a huge favor, and she's taken this letter all the way here. I don't know if you're like me and you read this and you just go like, like, why on earth would he, um, would, like, the most important theological um, explanation of the gospel that we have in Scripture, the most, the most comprehensive and profound and beautiful and amazing and, and, and just whatever word you want to pick um, that we have in Scripture explaining to us why we need the gospel, who we are in the gospel, how the good news of the gospel works in our life, right? Um, all of this... This is such a huge thing, this letter he's written to the church in Rome. And who does he ask to carry the letter? He asks a volunteer in a church. He asks a person who serves in their local church as he calls them a servant, which means deacon. And he might be referring to the actual office of a deacon. He might be referring to just the fact that she serves in the church. He refers to her as a patron. And a patron is someone um, who cares for other people. They take responsibility for other people. In this culture, a patron was a person who took responsibility for almost a household full of people. And, uh, and they, they, they provided things for them. They looked out for them. And he said, this woman has is, is been a patron of many in her church and is very valuable servant there. There's something that happens when you look at who all of these people are and what it is that they do in the church, and it shows us something about the early church at this time that I don't think we would otherwise see. When I was a kid and I was growing up, one of my favorite books was this big book that my grandma had at her house. It wasn't like an old book. It was like a relatively new book, but my grandma had it at her house, and it was called How Things Work. And it was this, I mean, I say big because it's a, it's a big, heavy book. That's like what I remember about it. I was impressed by those kinds of things. I still am, I'll be honest. I'm impressed by a big, heavy book. And it just had a, like the word how things work was written in all kinds of engineering type mechanical objects. And the author, like you open it up and it's like a battleship, right? Cross section of a battleship, how it works. Honestly, I still didn't understand after I looked at the cross section, but it was really fascinating to see the different things that made it work. Toilet cut it in half. How a toilet works. What? That's how a toilet works? I definitely had no idea that's how a toilet worked. When I was a kid, I thought there was like a vacuum in the ground, and it just sucked everything through a toilet, right? I had no idea how it worked. How all kinds of different things work. And I love this book because it like, it, it helped me kind of understand the mechanics behind these things that I thought I understood, or maybe, you know, knew I didn't understand, I was kind of interested in. 
And essentially, this is what Paul's doing, is he's showing us through what he's saying here and the people that he's thanking and saying hi to, he's showing us something about the church. And it's basically uh, the blueprint that God has for his church. So just stick with me on this, and I think you will see this as well, okay? Paul is uh, talking about this wonderful woman, Phoebe, who he really respects and is a great servant of the Lord. He goes on to talk about a few different couples who have served and a lot of individuals. But as he talks about these things, what he's doing is this. He's giving us God's blueprint. And God's blueprint for the church is this. All kinds of regular people finding joy in serving one another. If you were to do a cross-section, if you were to look at what makes the church work, what makes stuff happen in the church, what makes a church healthy or good or right, it is following this blueprint that God set forth, which is the church would be made up of all kinds of regular people, everyone we read about here, finding joy in serving one another. And I want to look at what each one of these things mean. The first one is regular people. When we think about the early church, we think about Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and Mary Okay, I got it. I can't see, you can't say those in that order. Uh, for those of you who are older than me, I guess. We think about people who are like big and important people. People who dedicated their entire vocational lives to spreading the gospel throughout the world. We think the church was what it was because of these incredibly, incredible, rare, and unbelievably passionate these gifted people who were so smart, who were so educated, who were so articulate, who gave their lives, and eventually many of them, most of them died even for the faith. We think God used those people to change the world, and because of them, I now, in a totally different culture, thousands of years later, can hear about the gospel and know Jesus and trust in him because of the incredible things that those incredible people did, like this guy Paul who wrote this letter that we're reading about. The truth is that as much as we are prone to believe that the church is what it is because of these great leaders, these great people doing these great things, the church actually is what it is because Jesus set it up in such a way that the Holy Spirit would empower completely regular people to do miraculous things. It's kind of a boring list of names to read because they're regular people. But they're regular people who Paul commends for their service, for their faithfulness, for their willingness to actually live their lives for the sake of the gospel and for other people. The church is made up of regular people. These were the people who started a new house church because there was only so much room in the last house church. These were the people who discipled new converts, the people who showed them to walk in the ways of Jesus. These were the people raising Christian kids in this new thing called a Christian family, training up believers who were hearing about it from birth. These were the slaves and the freedmen who somehow became important enough in the church that they were known by name by the Apostle Paul himself. These were wealthy people, 
business owners, people who leverage their resources, their reputations to help the church expand and kept it out of trouble. These were the people who fed the poor and suffering in the church family, who visited the sick and prayed for the dying. These are the people with the gift of hospitality. Paul says to Rufus, or he says of Rufus, uh, that his mom is like Paul's mom, you know? It's like that friend, like, oh, their mom's like my mom, you know? And they're like a brother to me because of the, the way that they took me in, the way that they cared for me. These are the people that hosted the meals that made communion possible. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit would come and empower these kinds of people, regular people, to do these things because it's what was needed. We read about it, uh, you know, Phoebe and, and, and how much of a, um, of a servant that she was. We read about Priscilla and Aquila. Also, sometimes people refer to them as Priscilla and Aquila, but it's Priscilla and Aquila. And he calls them, he says, these are my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, in verse 3. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, meaning they are working alongside me, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul has a long history with them. They have uh, bounced around to a few different places, for sure. Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. They, uh, they make tents, uh, and, uh, and that was their day job, which was sometimes Paul's day job, and he needed to make the extra money um, do, in order to do what he was doing for ministry. So he worked alongside them. He became friends with them. Priscilla and Aquila started out living in Rome. They had a house church in Rome they were part of. And then um, the emperor kicked out the Jewish people in Rome, the Emperor Claudius, the, 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 the Edith of Claudius, and, and he basically kicked out the Jews. And so they left Rome at that point. And then they started moving around, bouncing around. They started out in Rome, and then when he kicked them out, they ended up in Corinth, which is where Paul's writing from in this letter. Then they ended up in Ephesus. Then they ended up back in Rome because Claudius died, the edict went away, and they were like, you can come back now. And they're like, we want to go back because that's where we're from. But then eventually they would go back to Ephesus, we would read about. So what we read about Prissa and Aquila is that this couple has moved again and again and again, and each time they've moved, their home has become a place where people come to worship, and they come to build community, and they come to fellowship. Can you imagine doing that that many times? I mean, I can understand doing it in Rome where they started, but then you get this house church going, things are going great, and then they kick you out. You move after that, you go, let's just take a break, right? Let's just, like, make some tents and, you know, recuperate, restore, whatever you want to call it. Let's get some margin in our life, right? It's okay. We don't have to do the same thing. They did the same thing. And then again and again, everywhere that they went. Prissa and Aquila were people whose homes were a place of ministry. They brought people in who we read about in Acts who were actually fairly educated and intelligent people, but who were still had some weird theology and didn't fully understand um, the, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus and, and, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and things like that. And so it says that they instructed these people, this person. And then this person went out and taught publicly and, uh, and knew quite a bit. They, they, they opened their home rather than closing their home, even though it can be so tempting for us to do that kind of a thing. If one was a stranger in an unfamiliar town or a foreign country, one of the most valuable things in the world is to have somewhere to go which becomes a home from home. It takes away the loneliness, protects 
from temptation. And this is what Priscilla and Aquila provided people. Paul talks about them, like these people do good, and they do it, and they have a reputation for being regular people who, when they're not doing their day job, have dedicated their home to be a place where people come to know about Jesus, where community is built, and where the door is open rather than closed. We go on, and he says to greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. He says, greet Mary, who's worked hard for you. And then he says to greet Andronicus and Junia. He says, these are my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. This is in verse 7. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Well known to the apostles. So an apostle, when we talk about that word, um, a, a person, Jesus selected, hand-selected, 12 disciples. And when he died and was resurrected, and they saw him in his bodily resurrected form, the disciples became apostles. They went from being learners and students and followers of Jesus to being ones who are sent, is what an apostle is. They're the one who is sent. Now, it's important that we recognize that at that time, being an apostle meant that you were specifically chosen by Jesus, and you were specially chosen by Jesus, meaning they had the ability to speak with the authority of Jesus himself. Does that continue today? No. In fact, uh, we see that it's a really big deal that Paul became one of those apostles. It was no easy process. He had to basically show that God had come to him, like physically revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, that, that the Holy Spirit like, like literally beamed knowledge into his brain about the truth of the gospel that he did not learn from someone else. And when the other apostles saw this, they recognized that he was one who should have apostleship. So there's that group of people that doesn't exist anymore today. But then there's the wider group of apostles. These are those who are missionaries, who are sent, the ones who are sent with the gospel. Anyone who goes out with the gospel technically is doing the work of an apostle. And what Paul is saying here is that this couple, this husband and wife, themselves together are so dedicated in their work as apostles that they are well known to the other apostles. These regular people did these extraordinary things, and in doing so, they themselves helped make the church what it was, helped it function according to the blueprints that God set forth for it. Regular people, but it's not just regular people, it's all kinds of regular people. When you look at this list of names, what you see in this list is a tremendous amount of diversity. You see Jews and Gentiles, you see slaves and freedmen, which are the lowest part of society, named by Paul. And you see people who are ones of honor and nobility or people with wealth that Paul talks about. You see men and you see women. In fact, what we see here in Romans 16 is women doing work of apostleship, women doing work of teaching to others and instructing others. What we see is we see that there is great diversity amongst the kind of people that God uses in the church. Probably more diversity than we're often comfortable with. Because in our minds, the way it works again is God doesn't use regular people, he uses exceptional people. 
And he uses a certain kind of exceptional people, probably one that I'm the most will likely to relate to, you know. But that's not what we see here. We see God using regular people, all kinds of them. What we also see is what these people are doing and how it brings them joy. These people are finding joy in serving one another. When you look at the blueprint of the church and the cross-section of how it looks, what you see is people finding joy in serving one another. Now, the reason this, this probably sounds like something that we all look at and see and think about and go, yeah, sure, that's, yeah, who wouldn't agree with that? That's what people do. They, they go and they try to serve each other. They love each other, right? We find joy doing it. Here's the problem. Um, we live in a world and are living our lives as a part of a culture, not just in a culture, but as a part of a culture that tells us that the answer to all of our problems is to consume. What I mean by that is that we live in a consumer culture. That anyone alive in this room right now for your whole life, you've been marketed to. You've been, whether it was watching Saturday morning cartoons with Saturday morning commercials for cereal and toys and stuff that would rot your mouth out and rot your brains and make you a horrible little person or whatever. If you buy too much of it, it makes you a horrible person, I guess. We live in, in, in a culture and we ourselves are kind of wired because of that a certain way. And what that does to us is it causes us to see things as things to be consumed. Consumerism tells us that the existential questions that we feel about the meaning and purpose and joy and those nagging feelings we get that there's something missing, there's something wrong with our lives. Consumerism tells us that all of those things are just the result of us suffering without the right stuff. Anytime you've Googled a problem, looking for a solution, you've been hoping for either a book or an expert or a discussion, something, or maybe if you're really lucky, a product or a service that will help fix this thing that you're trying to figure out. We approach all of life this way. This angst and this discontent I'm feeling probably just means that I need something that I don't have or an experience that I haven't experienced. There's something that I can get that will make me feel complete and full. Every generation, every group, every type of person, every culture has a different way of looking to things to complete us. And because we work that way, we approach church that way. We approach the community and the family of God as a place that can give us what we need so that we can be complete, like everything else in life. But when we approach it that way, we will continually find ourselves, after an initial period of elation, to be dissatisfied with its inability to deliver and to meet our needs and to fulfill us and satisfy us in the long term. But true fulfillment doesn't come from what I get out of a place like church. What Scripture tells us and what Paul shows us in the lives of these people is incredible joy, incredible fulfillment, 
is found in dying to ourselves and serving one another, in changing the story and flipping it on its head and saying, I'm not going to play by those rules at all anyway. It's hard to do that, though, when church often operates this way, right? We go, if I, if I just um, can find a place where the community is, is easier or different or perfectly fit for me and gives me exactly what it is that I need, if I can find a, a preacher who's speaking enough or saying the right kinds of things, things that, that give me something new that I haven't had before, before, that maybe if I can walk into a worship service and the worship is so powerful and connects with me so well and it's such a, such a huge thing that it's like I'm transported into something with very little effort on my part, that, that if I can just... Um, see the community, find a community that, that, that feeds me and completes me, then I'll probably be more okay than I am today. If there is something wrong, I just need to find a book, I need to find a class, I need to find an invention, I need to find a program that will fix it. I don't like, I don't like reading my Bible, it's hard. Well, that's because you haven't seen this new beautiful Bible that you will enjoy reading. I don't, I don't struggle to read my Bible. I don't understand it. Well, this Bible has all these notes in it, and that will help you read your Bible all the time. Pastor Brandon thought his Bible was too small. And so he just buys bigger and bigger and bigger Bibles, thinking it will change things. But the only change is that you spend more time reading because the words are so big. What we see here is that the blueprint of the church is that it is a group of, of all kinds of totally regular people who have found joy and found fulfillment because of what they have in Christ and the ability that that gives them to serve each other instead of looking to be served. I mean, we're watching people step out in faith and do pretty incredible things, and yet they're not being depleted by that. They're not, they're not running on empty as a result of that. They're being filled up by it. They're, being, they're receiving life as a result of it. Now, there are other extremes, and oftentimes the response that we have to this consumer culture we live in with church is to say church needs to be exhausting, and it needs to completely just dominate every part of your life, and you need to do all of these things, and if you don't, you're not a real, genuine believer or a part of the church. And that's not true either, because Jesus says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And there are seasons that all of us experience in life where we just only have so much to give and we only have so much that we can do. But make no mistake, the way that he set it up to work. The church is a community of people. The, the church, when we say the church. The church is not a building. It is not um, a quality or type of music. It is not a, a specific teacher it is not a set of programs that we resonate with and that have made an impact on our lives. The church is all kinds of regular people who are finding joy and fulfillment through serving one another because, why? Because of what the gospel has done in their lives. We've been changed by the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that, that, that Jesus paid it all Jesus did it all for us. 
And because of how complete we are, because of his sacrifice, which we celebrate when we take communion, like this morning, because of that, we can give and we can let go. Even our own agendas in life. And in doing that, be the church as God created it and intended it to be in all of its beauty. Let's pray.